You're listening to Liturgies of Life, the fifth season of Enacting the Kingdom. Here you'll be joining me and Father Jeffrey as we consider the wider implications of our everyday rituals. From shopping to social media to sports and to the so-called work-life balance, let's explore how the mundane aspects of our daily existence truly become liturgies of life. Popular music as worship is our topic this morning. Well, I don't know if you're listening this morning or this <laughs> evening, but for us, it's this morning. And the, uh, okay, so Father Jeffrey, you and I were talking about this yesterday and reflecting a little bit in, in preparation that I had made some comments about sports and we've had that episode released a couple of weeks ago, but that sports was kind of this, this most religious institution that we have in our culture that isn't quote unquote religious, right? I mentioned, you know, the liturgical experience of being at a game. Everyone's wearing the right colors. You stand up, you sit down, you cheer, you cry, um, all that kind of stuff. But then reflecting a little bit on, on this, the experience of going to a concert, right? When you, I'm sure many of our listeners have an experience. I'm sure you, Father Jeffrey, have experience. I have experience of going to see a favorite band play. And there's a whole liturgy around that, right? You go, there's lights, sometimes there's smoke machines, there's anticipation, there's an opener, right? And then it leads you in deeper into the mystery. And then there can even be moments of profound, even ecstasy without the drugs um even like uh, these moments of transcendence that you can yeah <laughs> that you can experience um in the concert and and there are some people for whom live music is a really profound experience deep in their heart and their soul so i thought well we should definitely talk about what i'm just calling popular music i'm not sure how bet how how what i can do to call that better but popular music um you know how does music play a role in our lives and affecting our, our hearts and our souls in that liturgy of life kind of way? Um, so the, for me personally, I've seen a couple of concerts and they've been wonderful. And I listen to music in the car and there are some times where I really feel um, ecstatic, right? That out of body experience. Uh, there's something special about music, isn't there, Father Jeffrey? Well, yeah. And I mean, just, I mean, not to, you know, downplay the, the liturgy or religious ritual of sports that we, we talked up so recently, but there's something I think quite primeval about the music concert, particularly. I mean, it's that experience live of in a group of the playing of music. And of course that extends to recorded music, which we have these days and to, you know, listening to music on one's own and, and so forth. And it can reconnect us with that. But fundamentally what we're dealing with here is something that going back tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years, our ancestors would recognize, right? I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I, I'm not sure if you took a human being from 100,000 years ago and drop them into the Hamilton Tiger Cats stadium, you know, what they would make of that, right? right. And how they might they not be able to understand what's It might take a on. little bit of uh, enculturation to kind of make sense of the liturgy that that is, right? And, and but I mean, obviously those who are familiar with it will experience that in a kind of deep way and 
go through that whole liturgical ritual and so forth the way we talked about it. But I can guarantee you that you can drop that person into uh, most modern music concerts and they would immediately resonate with what's going on. They would recognize this. Oh yes, we do this too, right? Um, you know, that gathering together, you know, in a group, uh, you know, with, with the, so creating that sense of community and, and having the, 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 the different instruments and the, just the, the sound, which, draws people into a kind of shared experience and then the vocalization of that. And, you know, you know, typically today you don't go to a, a, a music concert, certainly not a pop concert in order to hear the best rendition of the songs that you enjoy. You'd go there because you're going to sing out loud with all your heart, soul, and mind, the lyrics that you know off by heart with everybody else there. And you can probably scarcely hear <laughs> the, the, the instruments and, and, and the vocalist, you know, rendering the song, right? It, it's about that common experience, that joining together in, in community. But you'd also recognize as that primeval human being being dropped into it, uh, you know, the, the emotional, impact of that music right uh, so you got sense of community you got emotional impact you've got the kind of participation together in that you've got the the lighting right you know in in maybe a hundred thousand years ago it was because the you know moon or sunlight was kind of coming through uh, the leaves of trees as they were blowing in the wind and creating that kind of strobe effect you know of lighting and so forth but we're, we're just continuing that now with electronic based lighting and 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 pyrotechnics and and whatnot and so you've got the fire you've got the the warmth you've got that drawing together the physicality of it you know typically in a music concert you're shoulder to shoulder with all the people who are there and and you're you're you know you're shouting you're 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 singing you're you're breathing the same air with all the people which is why sadly covid put <laughs> put paid to a lot of these rituals um but i mean it, this is really this is a you know a very very ancient ritual that we're participating in and of course at the heart of all this is the kind of you know the leader of that community the shaman the priest the the one who's kind of leading the people in in this worship experience and and so forth and ultimately all of this has to do with this kind of social human quest for meaning right we're, we're, we're here because we want to make sense of of the world you know around us and we do that collectively we do that through emotional uh you know participation together in in rituals we do it through through the music through the the, the visual and other sensory effects and and so forth i mean this would be as I say, immediately recognizable to any human being from any period, you know, in history, whether they actually enjoy the music is another question that might be an acquired taste in, in some cases, because that's the case today with us, right? We don't all like the same kinds of music, but in other words, you know, it's the, the kind of core ritual that is kind of deeply connected to our biological evolution, right? This is, this is what human beings have always done when they've tried to make sense of the world. And, you know, we still do it. And in an era when, you know, the, a lot of people don't have this experience in other places, right? That they're not going, you know, to cathedrals and churches and, and synagogues and, and other temples on a regular basis, like they might've until recently. I mean, the, the music, hall the, the the concert venue is really the place where most people do this very very ancient human thing mm -hmm. yeah I, when you were 
talking a little bit about the shaman and the priest kind of being the center of that musical expression in times past, I was thinking back and I, I think a lot of this live, these grand performances of live music would in the past most often be associated with the religious aspect of life. Not, not that those are really, uh, we have to be careful when we use that word religion and apply it to ages past because often certain cultures did not actually have that dichotomy of church and state or secular and religious. Um, so, uh, but music was um, all wrapped up with the religious and theological ideas of the time and often it was the priest or the shaman who was sort of at the center of that and and music was to put it another way music was always this religious thing but recent like when we think about live music now we don't often think about it that way we think about well you have the church and then over there is where the music is played and where the good bands are and i think a lot of you know, there are certain branches of Christianity that seek to capture that sort of modern live music experience and bring it into kind of the church and say, okay, well, let's do the best of that and, and bring people's um, hearts and minds towards Christ through that particular kind of like live pop rock music expression. Um, but it, it's still, it seems to me that those. has there been this kind of shift you know like it seems to me that in ages past the music and the popular music was done in that sort of religious context whereas now there seems to be that divide i'm not sure if you see that the same way father um i mean i i get what you're saying and i mean it is certainly true that um you know there have been times when you know what you might take to be the the kind of dominant form of musical expression has kind of more closely been aligned with, you know, what you might call a kind of higher cultural, um, you know, expression, you know, musically and, and even the wider aesthetic and artistic, you know, means and so forth, so that you would find the same thing, you know, when you're maybe listening to music on a Wednesday afternoon or, you know, listening to somebody perform music and then you're in church, you know, at the weekend. But, the, the fact is, uh, you know, that's always been a kind of cultural, historical, contextual thing, you know, anyway. I, mean, I think, for example, of, you know, in the Western uh, Christian tradition, you know, it's very famously now associated with, you know, the hymns and so forth, you know, the which are, are sung often with organ accompaniment or other instrumental. You know, but that's a, it was a relatively recent thing. Before that, it was the chant tradition that we're still familiar with in the Christian East. And But when that was brought in, I mean, that was highly controversial. Often these were, you know, drinking songs. You know, the Lutherans were famous for doing this, um, for adopting what was being done, you know, down the tavern, you know, with the beer stein being pounded on the the, the on, on the countertop there. And that was brought into church precisely in order to do the kind of thing that you're talking about today, where people are using popular culture and music in order to, to present the gospel and so forth. So that's been done multiple times. And even what's considered highbrow and lowbrow culturally, musically, you know, is up for, for debate. I mean, Mozart in his time, most of what he writ, wrote was, was considered, you know, pretty down market, you know, and, and not for um, the, the, the kind of, uh, you know, highfalutin, you know, social crowd and and so forth. But today, you know, you would look at a, a Mozart piece and think, well, that's, you know, very much high class, you know, artistic expression and so forth. So I think some of that is really fluid. 
and, you know, uh, subject to a fair amount of prejudice, you know, at various times and, and places. But what I would want to do is turn your whole question around and say, is it the case that popular music, you know, by which I mean music that is, you know, um, for, of, and by the people, you know, to speak in kind of American constitutional terms. Um, but I mean, that's kind of what we mean when we say popular music, right? Uh, is it less or more religious at any point in time? And I would argue that it's never been more religious than it is now, even if it doesn't have the, the kind of overt, you know, shaman or priest or whatever at, at the core of it. I mean, the kinds of questions that are asked not always given a completely deep answer, sometimes quite shallow and depressing and nihilistic and even dishonest and crude and crass and immoral, etc., and quite repetitive. But the questions that are being asked are religious questions, right? They have to do with the meaning of life. You know, where do you find value? What, what, where do you find purpose? Uh, you know, what is love? And, you know, what do you do when you've lost it? Uh, you know, how do you make connection? How do you overcome isolation? How do you, how do you deal with, with sorrow and with suffering and with pain and all of these kinds of questions? I mean, there, there isn't a single pop song that is written that is ultimately not about some sort of deep religious question. Right. And as I say, the answers given aren't always that deep, except sometimes they also are. Right. So, I mean, there is good popular music, by which I mean music that actually presses these questions and asks them deeply and comes to, you know, answers that, again, in the way that we've been talking about through this whole series are approximations almost or, or signposts, broken signposts sometimes, but signposts nonetheless of the Christian gospel, right? That in some way that you have a shadow or a reflection of the ultimate purpose of what a human being is. Because I mean, our understanding of our faith is that we are in line with what a human person ultimately is. You know, we are, we are in kind of running with the grain of the creational purposes of God himself for everything, right? And in, in that regard, any time a human being asks, stops and asks a question about human life, about society, about struggle, about purpose and so forth, that's going to be a religious question that is ultimately, you know, ultimately only finds its answer in the fullness of, of the gospel, the story of, of the kingdom of God, as that is being revealed to us, you know, through God's saving, redeeming, fulfilling action, you know, in, in the world. And so therefore, I mean, there hasn't been a pop song that couldn't be in some ways a pointer towards that, right? Mm -hmm. It's just what people do. And as I say, the, the there's a real opportunity here, ultimately, for us to, I mean, not to I mean, the, the real mistake, obviously, is to kind of say, oh, well, look, that people like the, the beat of this, or they like this kind of instrumentation, or they like this style of music or whatever. Let's create a whole parallel thing, which we'll call the Christian, you know, version of it, right? And we'll somehow try to, I mean, it's like almost parody it, but but give it, you know, full on gospel content or whatever. I mean, that that's a strategy that just doesn't work, you know, and that's that's almost akin to, you know, kind of what 
Lutherans had done with those pub songs, right? And brought them into the church and said, okay, well, they want to sing this way. Well, let them sing this way, but we'll, we'll replace all the, the words with, with something else. And maybe that works, you know, for a time. But the ultimate answer, I believe, is to get into that culture, into that world and to to press people, to, to obviously to affirm what's already good and true and beautiful, wherever those things are, right? But then to get people to kind of press those questions further, to ask the questions more deeply, to, to search for, for more profound answers, you know, to that. And I mean, that's where I think the very best of gospel and pop culture, you know, come together is in that kind of dialogue of looking for where the Holy Spirit is already at work, right? Because everyone is created in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, in some respect, the gospel is always and everywhere reflected in anything a human being does. But, you know, to, to press that, to, to, to affirm what's good, true and beautiful, and, and to get people to kind of ask the questions more deeply so that, that ultimately we can replace all that stuff that's just simply crass, crude, simple, depressing, you know, nihilistic, you know, unenjoyable answers to these deep human questions and maybe introduce something that is more hopeful, right? Not in that kind of naive, you know, maybe kind of classic Disney sense of, you know, everything turns to the good and, you know, the, the evil is just triumphed over and, and, and never appears again or whatever. Not naively happy lyrics, but robust, true lyrics that, that, that express a knowledge of what our ultimate hope is, that the God is at work in the world. God is still creating. There's a new creation. There's a genuine joy that, that comes out of human experience, right? That, that God mm -hmm. is leading us, you know, somewhere. And, and there's really good examples of that already at play in, in secular pop music, what we could call secular. I mean, I, I really don't think there is ever anything that is properly secular, but things that are, are designed to be that way, that aren't kind of conceived of as religious or, or Christian or, or whatever. But there's already very good examples of that. And, you know, I, th I think there's real delight when we find those, right? And we can kind of affirm those and hold them up and, and use them as a way of presenting the gospel. But there's a way in which, you know, almost any part of pop music can be addressed, you know, in that way. Because, you know, the experience of this is deeply primeval and, you know, baked into our DNA as, as human beings. It's what we've always done. And it's where we've always sought answers to the whole meaning of life. And so we need to be there, right? Not creating some parallel thing, which would be about the secular sacred divide, which would be about saying, come and find us if you want, you know, meantime, you know, enjoy your devil music or whatever it is we're saying, but getting involved get our hands dirty, get, get, you know, muck in and, and really work with the, the pop culture in order to, to, to precisely get people to ask more deeply and answer more fully and more hopefully these deep questions. If you're not a patron of Enacting the Kingdom, you're only getting half a podcast. This show only exists because of an active community of people just like you over on Patreon. When you become a patron, you'll get additional episodes, live streams, and our ever-growing backlog of episodes, 66 at the time of this recording. And as we're social media free, Patreon is the only place to engage with us and others about these episodes. Go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom to join the growing community.
With all of these episodes, we keep bumping up against this question of, well, what do we as Christians who claim to have the the ultimate and most accurate version of this story of life, we Christians, especially Orthodox Christians, claim to have that, how do we then engage with aspects of our culture that we are not 100% sure where they are oriented at, right? And, and you know, you were bringing up, Father Jeffrey, this thing. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is a technical term, but we're going to do uh, hopefully an episode about this. But we talked about it here, replacement culture, right? This mm-hmm. culture of, well, the way that Christians, uh, the, the theory behind this uh, this kind of replacement culture is to say, well, the way that Christians are to engage with the art of the world is to not engage with the art of the world, but to create the Christian version. It's kind of like Weird Al Yankovic, but the Christian version of it, yeah. um, the the Christian version of <laughs> the art out there in the world. Um, so you have things like Pure Flix, which is Netflix, but for uh, Christian movies and things like that. Um, and you have the the Dove Awards, what you know, these awards given to Christian um, artistic uh, productions. Uh, I'm not sure if Dove is just music and movies or both or what, but um, you there, that is a genuine. Uh, the Christians are genuinely wrestling with what it means to engage in in the context of this episode with the music of our culture, because a lot of it really seems to be especially kind of pop, you know, top 100 lists or whatever, um, Billboard 100 seems to really be orienting you towards a different goal, whether it's money or sex or, or, or things like that. Um, and I think it's really tempting as Christians to say, well, to hell with all of that, mm-hmm. all of it, mm-hmm. uh, you need all the music you need to, all, all the music you should be listening to should be a place where you can completely open up and just be worry free. Um, and, and that's the other aspect that I wanted to talk to you about, Father Jeffrey, is this idea of um, giving yourself to the music, right? So let's start with the divine liturgy. <clears throat> to me, the divine liturgy is the place, perhaps the only place really, uh, for me personally at least, where you can completely give yourself over to the music and to the words and to the liturgy, right? Like you don't need to worry, right? You could just say the words and they're the, they're the right words. You can do the movements. And you know what? Those are the right movements. And you can sing the, the hymns. And you know what? Those are the right melodies and the right hymns. Whereas if I go to a rock concert, there's, I'm not giving myself to that music the same way that I would be giving myself to the liturgy. Um, and a little anecdotal example is I had a coworker once who would, um, if a song would come on and she didn't know the song, she wouldn't like tap her foot or kind of like groove. You know, some people kind of groove their shoulders or their hips to like a song, even if they're in the car or something. She would not do that if she didn't know the song because she, she said, I don't know what the lyrics are about and I don't want even my body to be giving itself over to a song that could be about something that it, I, I don't want to participate in. So I guess in short, Father Jeffrey, that question of giving yourself over to the music, what are some of the guardrails that we can have as Orthodox Christians when it comes to listening to the quote-unquote popular music on the radio or our favorite bands? Um, What's the difference there, letting our guard down versus letting our guard down in liturgy? Um, I hope my question makes sense. But basically, uh, the um, orientation of the heart in that moment. Uh, What do you make of that? 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of what you've just said is really, really important. I mean, we, there's a whole tradition, obviously, in our Orthodox spiritual um, life of, of guarding the heart, right? And, and, and that starts actually with guarding the senses, right? Which are the, the means by which information and uh, values and all the formative um, you know, practices of, of the world enter into our bodies, right? And in our hearts are, are kind of the synecdoche for the whole of the human life. So we guard our whole human life. We shouldn't be looking at things that are you know, corrupting, right? That, that distort our vision of what a human being is, of, of what truth and beauty and goodness, you know, are, are all about. We shouldn't be seeking out, you know, um, to fill our, our hearts with, with things of darkness and, and, and sin and so forth. So that guarding of the heart metaphor is, you know, is really, really critical. Um, however, <laughs> let me push back a bit and say there really isn't a time as a human being when our critical engagement and our need to interpret and in order to understand stops, right? Um, it is just what it means to be created in the image and likeness of God that we are created as social creatures who need to come together to come to collective interpretation and understanding of reality. There is no uninterpreted reality. There's never a point where you can completely put your guard down in terms of your critical engagement, you know, with the world and just say, let me just take that in, in a kind of unmediated, you know, way, like everything is interpreted, right? And so what's safe about the divine liturgy is we're joined together with a community that is interdependent, that is of that is expressing its relationship with one another in friendship and self-sacrificing love. There's trust. There's, there's, um, there's a habitual way of being with one another where we, we know, I mean, we know that the person praying or the other person singing or the other person doing, you know, ritual action or whatever are doing that all in a way that is consistent with the way our community has been formed together, right? We, we know these people, we trust these people. And, and beyond that, we're all part of this kind of larger family of that, that consists of the saints through, through time and space, right? And, and this is a trusting, trusted place, but it doesn't mean, right, that we stop thinking and interpreting and so forth. It's just, we've, we've, we've habituated ourselves to thinking and critically engaging with what's going on and interpreting what's going on based on you know, a whole tradition of doing that, of, of, of practice. We practice this together. It's community practice and, and the story is being told in a way that we can trust. And to that extent, let our guard down, right? We, we know that, that this is all kind of pulling in the same direction, right? So that's what's happening there. It's not that there's no interpretation or critical engagement. It's just been formed and habituated in a certain way. But the fact is that can go wrong. That itself can go wrong. There are bad examples of church communities, right? There are places where that has gone askew or awry and and that needs to be recalibrated. And there are ways of celebrating even the Orthodox divine liturgy that are destructive, that are counterproductive, that are not actually a good, you know, collective interpretation and application of what that's all about. So it's not that there's this kind of perfect, this is the perfect environment, this music, this, these, these words, you know, this ritual 
set of actions and, and so forth, you know, it will always and everywhere go right. Actually, it has to be worked at. And, and, and a good community does good liturgy. And that good community is founded on those things that I'm, I'm mentioning about that trust, interdependent love, about, you know, being oriented in the right way and ultimately being part of, of God's, you know, full story. So it's, it's rather than being that place where, ah, it's just perfectly safe. We don't have to think about it. It's the model when it's working well for what we should be doing always and everywhere. We rehearse in liturgy how we're supposed to be everywhere else. Now it's true. You know, I'm a regular concert goer and I, I have a lot of favorite bands, a lot of different types of music that I like. And it's true. When I enter that space, yes, there's something that bonds me to everybody else there because we're all bonded in some way to the music and the lyrics and, and, and the culture of, of the artist we've come to, to celebrate, right. And to, to, to do all those ancient human rituals, you know, with and whatever. But I don't know anybody else there, probably, unless I brought somebody with me. I, you know, it could be they're all strangers, you know, to me. So it can never work on the same level that that, you know, Sunday divine liturgy in my church community, you know, can do. Um, although it's not to say that the same work isn't in you know, at play, right? We've rehearsed in our divine liturgy on Sunday, as I say, we need to then apply in all the contexts we go out into, including, you know, in, into that. And so there'll be a higher level of critical engagement needed at a higher le level of, of critical suspicion almost of, you know, not just the music that I'm hearing, but of the, everybody's participation in it and the way that they're participating in it. You mentioned earlier about ecstasy and said that, you know, it, it doesn't have to involve the, the, the drug, but I mean, we know that attached to some of the, a lot of the, the, this music, pop culture and so forth, there are things that are harmful to human beings, right? Including, you know, participation in drug culture and, and so forth. So to that extent, we can't affirm everything just because even the lyrics of the song that we know by heart and are singing out loud might offer something of a signpost towards the gospel. And I hope they do. Uh, but you know, we may not still be able to affirm everybody who's there and participating in it in the way that they're behaving, right? There can be destructive, you know, human behaviors associated with that. So, yeah, I think it's a kind of fluid spectrum of of possibilities here, but it's it's kind of that that basic human thing that always has to be in play about interpretation, collective, uh, you know, gathering together and, and and interpreting and applying what we receive from the world through our senses, and we. We run that through a critical engagement in our rational faculties and so forth, and ultimately try to make sense of it all within the larger story of what is the, the story of how God became king, of, of the new creation, of the story of the life of the age to come that we're meant to live here and now. And our participation in that, in the world, can be transformative, right? We can be the model, hopefully, not with arrogance, right? Not because we, we have all the answers and we should be going out and looking for what the Holy Spirit is already doing in all of these places. And I've been at concerts where I have been overwhelmed with the, the solidarity, the, 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 the human, uh, you know, uh, kind of self-sacrificing love and 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 the the affirmation of justice and and other kinds of of really important values of beauty of goodness of joy that I've seen in in these 
context that I've maybe scarcely seen even in a church context, right? So it's, again, we, we don't arrive, we have all the answers, let's kind of dole them out to these poor, you know, benighted you know, folks who are just listening to a pop concert. It's not that, it's actually what we need to do is enter in with humility and, and less arrogance, but but nevertheless, with this, we've rehearsed what it is to be proper human beings participating fully in the life of the age to come, the, 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 the life of God's own story, right? Living God's future now. And we can bring that and bring that into dialogue and, and con constructive engagement with you know, the, this whole pop culture and so forth, but looking, as I say, for the things that are already there that, that are worth affirming and so forth. I mean, I, just recently with concerts starting again after the pandemic, I've been at a few different, um, you know, concerts and there's just this really overwhelming sense that people are coming back together again after a kind of difficult collective moment where we've experienced isolation from one another and, and suffering and heartache and the pain of, of sickness and of death and so forth. And the, the concerts I've been to have been all about showing that, you know, we can overcome this together as human beings, that, that we have the collective resources to, to draw upon, to, to pull back together, to show love for one another, common concern, seeking righteousness and justice and so forth. And this is not at all predicated in a, in a Christian gospel context, although it, it's clearly signposts of all of that. And I've been overwhelmed to see just lots of ordinary citizens who live around me that I don't know from Adam that have kind of come together. And because we share the love of this music um, together, we've been able to share, you know, kind of special moments that way. And I think my own ability to discern and appreciate what I see there is actually formed by the divine liturgy is actually formed by my understanding of God's story of the gospel of what new creation, you know, is all about. And so what I want to always and everywhere be doing is seeing, noticing what's there and, and entering into that and adding to it constructively, productively, creatively, you know, joining in with what's possible. And uh, I think you know, we have a real gift as human, as Christians, uh, to 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 enter into that human space and, and to share something of that true joy, the true goodness, the true beauty, the the true truth that that we know from the kingdom of God. Why not share it with the world? Thanks for listening. I'm Father Yuri Gladio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning, and I'm joined on this show by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Come connect with us on Patreon with any thoughts and follow-ups about this episode. We look forward to seeing you next time.